Welcome to Habit Masters. I'm Jeff. I'm Sheldon. And today we have a very special guest in Jem Fuller coming to us all the way from Australia, at least on Zoom. And he is a family man, author, and an executive coach around the areas of conscious leadership, communication, and mindfulness. Yeah. We dive into some of these topics today and it's totally awesome. He's got a great perspective on this. He's lived a very diverse life. He's gone from being a what? Tattooist. Tattooist. <laughs> he's hiked in kindergarten the teacher. <laughs> kindergarten teacher. You name it, he's practically done it. And he's come around to really finding a, a spot in coaching others in living a more mindful life. Yeah. And we talk about practices that you can use to live your life more mindfully. I've read a lot about mindfulness. This is the first time I felt like the dots really connected to the power of mindfulness and how needful it is in that gap between what's happening to us is stepping back and being aware so that you can make a choice. Yeah. I really felt like for the first time I understood how to adopt mindfulness into my daily life and not spend an hour trying to be mindful. It's like, no. Time to meditate for an hour. (laughs) So you guys are going to love this. Jem Fuller, we had been looking through your stuff and we were really intrigued by a lot of it, obviously. <laughs> you've kind of got, yeah. you sounds like you've been a lot of places, done a lot of things <laughs> and been adventuring a little bit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, it's funny, you know, when, when people read back a snapshot of the kind of life journey or the bio or whatever, I, I still kind of shake my head and go, hang on, did I really fit all of that? into this one lifetime, you know, so, but yeah, 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 yeah. I've had a very colorful life and I've packed a lot in and, 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 you know, here I am now at the age of uh, about to turn 51 actually in, in June. And I've, I've always felt great to be at whatever stage I've been at through life. Although some of the stages have been really tough, but certainly this chapter now, I, you know, I'm feeling great. I, you know, I've, I've learned enough to create some practices and some habits in my life that have that really set me up to have a pretty easy experience of it all and also to not make it about me so much anymore. You know, most of my life mm. you're trying to figure stuff out and you're trying to figure out your place with life and, and yourself. And so it's a lot about you. And yeah. you know, it's got to a point now where I've done a lot of self-acceptance and a lot of self-love and created daily habitual practices to continue that relationship with self where it doesn't have to be about me so much anymore. You know, it, it can yeah. be about serving. So, yeah, I'm very grateful to be where I am. Except with that uh, AM, PM, right? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. He's like, I'm really kind to myself now, except when I blow it on the alarm. No. <laughs> uh, it, it took me. It took me about... It took me about 20 minutes to forgive myself. <laughs> you know, and it was funny, man, because when I realized like my body woke me at 4 a.m. and I and I it felt like I'd slept too long. And I looked at my alarm and I went, Oh no, I've done that thing, you know, and I felt so bad. And the very first, one of the very first thoughts that raced through my head was, what do I tell them? Yeah. And you know, the old, the old patterning went, make up some kind of white, uh, make up some kind of excuse, you know, and within As about, if you would need it, I'm like, uh, you know, and within about 30 seconds, it comes to just tell the truth. <laughs> and, and of course, that's what I did. I just said my bad. I'm, I feel so sorry. It was the AMPM thing. <laughs> and anyway, so yeah, but I mean, look back in the day, I reckon I would have felt bad about that for days, maybe mm-hmm. more. Maybe it maybe it would have become another one of those things that you beat yourself up for and it becomes lodged in your association or, or you know, a connection to the past yeah. that becomes one of those little kinks in your relationship with self, you know, yeah. quite possibly. And it's only in the recent years that I've learned to not do that. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a huge step, I think. Sorry, Sheldon, you got something. No, no. As as we don't we you don't know much about us yet but <laughs> we we are we're releasing a course about habits and habit creation and identity is a huge part of that and the things that uh-huh. you're talking about like already like line up with the things you know and how the things that you tell yourself and believe about yourself like you can't create a habit without identity being a part of it you know it's just an uh-huh. action you're taking until it becomes part of who you are the things you say and the, your labels that you tell about yourself you know what i mean it's like you said years ago that might have been like a huge you know i'm 
I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I can't believe I, sh- <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Learn to so, forgive yourself. Yeah. Oh, we're so horrible to ourselves, you know, and, and when, when you actually pay, not you guys, cause I know you do this already. I'm so excited to be having this conversation with you, but <laughs> for a lot of, a lot of people um, don't spend time paying close attention to the quality of the communication they have with self. You know, because mm-hmm. it's quite, it can be quite subtle because we're so used to it that vo- the voice in your head is always there. So you mm-hmm. kind of become so used to it. You People don't often stop and go, wow, listen to the words I just used when I was reprimanding myself in that moment or, you yeah. know, coming down on myself for not being what I hoped I could be. And we speak to ourselves quite abusively. We use horrible language yeah. and quite aggressively sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, we wouldn't speak to our children like that. We wouldn't speak to our loved ones. We probably wouldn't even speak to our the people that we're not friends with like that. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and so, yeah, it's interesting. That's a part of, it's been a part of my practice over the last 10 years and it's become habitual. If I set a goal for myself in terms of how I want to show up in a moment, you know, like turning up to a, a live podcast and not missing it, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I don't, and I and I don't manage to achieve what I was hoping to achieve, I, mm-hmm. i.e., I didn't show up. When I'm coaching myself around that, in the past, I would have been. I'm not going to swear on your podcast. I, I would have been cussing <laughs> at myself. I would have been using expletives. I would have been, you know idiot and you fool and you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, but now it's like, Hey, come on, Jim, you know, you're, you, you didn't mean to do that. Your intentions are good, but you can do better. Like um, you still can hold yourself accountable to sure. expanding into your potential as mm-hmm. a person, but you can do it positively. You can coach yourself yeah. positively, you know? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. That's I, great. No, that's great advice. We, there's a, a saying Jeff and I have latched on to, I change best by feeling good, not by feeling bad, right? Uh-huh. I like that. And I mean, you hit it on, on the nail. I, I, I remember a conversation with my wife where I was being somewhat vulnerable and sharing something. And she turned to me and she's like, that's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was a real oh, eye-opener for me because to me, it didn't seem depressing. It was just the way I thought. Yeah. Right, right. And since then I've come to realize like the way that I, I was thinking in that mindset, like really was not healthy yeah, <laughs> way yeah. of, of talking to myself, but it yeah. took someone who cared about me, my, my dear wife to kind of like, oh, her reaction kind of shocked me into examining my own thought processes. <laughs> yeah. 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 And yeah. until we have that shock, whether it's from a loved one or whether it's circumstantial, you know, what's something that's happened in your life until we have that thing that jolts us out of what is our normal paradigm, you're not aware because to yeah. you, it's normal. You know? <laughs> it's, yeah. a, it's the voice in my head. <laughs> it's the voice in your head, you know, and people don't pay much attention to it. I'm saying this because I coach a lot of people and, and when you bring their attention to it, they're like, wow, you're right. I've got this constant commentary. <laughs> Yeah. Like it's a constant commentary in my head. And what's even more than that is that people identify with their thoughts. You guys know, right? So we create, we, we think that that's who we are. And then these, sometimes there are thoughts that pop up, just they're just reflex neurochemical firings in your brain. And a lot of them are due to, you know, your upbringing or the, the culture that you live in or the prompts or, or whatever. And so mm-hmm. these thoughts fire and they're not your thoughts in terms of that's how you choose to be and behave. They're just thoughts that have been fired by other thoughts or external stimuli and people identify with them and go, oh my, I'm a terrible person. I just had that thought. <laughs> well, you didn't create that thought on purpose. It just kind of popped up and you don't have to pay attention to it if you don't want to. Yeah, I think that we have been misinformed that we have some extreme control over our reactive thoughts. And, you know, the more I've gone into it, the more I've learned, the more I realized, like you said, there are certain things that just pop into your head and it's not that you came from you per se, but that you can do with it, whatever you will. It's like, yeah, this is, I can now, I can ignore this and <laughs> move on, or I can make it a big thing and feel terrible. Right. So. Yeah. 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 Completely. You and I could be walking down the same street with the same external stimuli but the thoughts that pop into your head will be very different to the thoughts that pop into my head, not because you're a better or worse person, but because of where you grew up. 
you know, like if just say I took you for a walk down the street in the, the town where I live and mm-hmm. a kangaroo hopped down the street, right, which I think is really funny because it, when, <laughs> when I'm in the States, people go, oh, you've got rules hopping around everywhere. I'm like, no, we don't, not in, not in the suburbs. But in this town where I am, there are kangaroos that hop down the street. <laughs> See, it's, but, it's you know, real. like if, so if you and I saw a kangaroo, the thoughts that would automatically just appear in your brain would be different to the ones that do for me because I grew up with them and you didn't. Yeah. You know, it's so it doesn't example. mean that we're, it's, yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Well, so in my own development, <laughs> I was eye-opening when I learned to de-identify with some of my thoughts and feelings, right? It was powerful and I think healing, cathartic, whatever you want to call it, to to realize I don't always have to trust those thoughts or those feelings or uh-huh. they, they're not always 100% correct. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and sometimes uh, they're 0% correct. Exactly. Yeah. And sometimes <laughs> they're not correct. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've been thinking about this a lot lately too with around fear and I'm like, fear is typically like, more of a sign that I should do something than the opposite, right? <laughs> more often yeah. than not, fear is guiding me to what I probably should do versus what I yeah. shouldn't be doing. So you, you start to use that as almost incentive. You're like, oh, well, if I'm really afraid to do this, I probably, it probably means I just need to bite the bullet and do it, right? Yeah, <laughs> get, yeah, get yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, me too. <laughs> when I was first setting up, when I first wanted to take people on a leadership retreat to the remote Himalayan mountains in a, a tiny village that I fell in love with in the 90s when I was living there. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take people. <clears throat> I went and did the recce and I did a, a kind of risk assessment on it. And it's, it's a risky program. You know, we go tre- trekking on remote little goat tracks. And if someone trips on their shoelaces, they're going to die kind of thing. Anyway, so I came back and I was really excited about running this program, but really scared <laughs> to run it as well. <laughs> and my accountant, who's a friend, and he's also my, kind of my business advisor, strategic advisor, he said to me, you know, are you going to do this? And I said, it scares the hell out of me, so I think I have to do it. <laughs> you know, yes, exactly. It's, it's the same kind of thing. But when you think about it in terms of the evolution of us as a species, mm-hmm. you know, the hard wiring, the old reptilian brain, which is the fear part, made a lot of sense back in the day when we had to be fearful pretty much all the time, you know, mm-hmm. when there was lions coming to eat us per se, right? Or at least then when we were more tribal and, and having to compete for resource and everything. And so there was a lot more real danger all the time. And, mm-hmm. and for most of the evolution of us, it's only really been relatively in the last tiny, tiny little bit of our existence as a species where life's pretty safe and more safe than it's ever been, despite what mainstream media and news would have you believe. <laughs> right, that exactly. Each other, but it's actually <laughs> not true. You know, and so I, I have to remind my ego, which is fueled by fear, Mm-hmm. On a daily basis, when my ego gets defensive and and tries to protect us, when I say us, I mean me, yeah. tries to protect me, I have to remind it and go, oh, ego, bless your cotton socks. Look at you go firing up, <laughs> getting all defensive, trying to trying to keep us safe. And I trying to help me. And I go, there's no there's no lion trying to eat you right now. You know this fear that's that's firing all the time. Like you say, man, it's more of an indication of what should I move towards? What should I go and explore? You know? Yeah. That's awesome. I love, I love that example. We could chat forever, but we do have some questions. We do We've got some good questions yeah, yeah, yeah. for you, right? Like, <laughs> come on. Just, just as valuable <laughs> Steer the, as the ship, boys. What are you doing? <laughs> Honestly. Sheldon, you kick us off. You got any questions for Jim here? We got. Yeah. Well, maybe this is just fundamental, but you talk about conscious conversation right? What is a conscious conversation? Look, when we're, you know, um, I use the term conscious communication, same, same. Yeah. Conscious just meaning being more aware. The more conscious we are of something, the more aware we of it we are, right? And, yeah. and so, and then communication, communication as opposed to a telling, me telling you something, communication is a sharing. It's to make common. Very literally, it comes. That's the Latin roots of the word. Communicatio yeah. is the noun meaning a sharing, and communicare the verb meaning to make common. Mm-hmm. So communication essentially means that it's a two-way, if there's two of us, or a multi-directional sharing of 
either information or energy or understanding or emotion, love or whatever we're communicating, right? So to be more conscious of that is to step outside a little bit more of just your perspective, your ego, what you want from it, and to look at what is the higher purpose of this communication and to seek to understand. For there to be a sharing, I have to seek to understand where you're coming from. You know, so for me, conscious communication is, yeah, that. Yeah, that. Yeah, okay. So if I could sum it up in my own words, <laughs> it's being mindful of the intent of what you're trying, the, your intent, their intent, so there's real communication. Yeah, yeah, being, being more aware of a bigger picture, you know, a bigger perspective rather than it just being about me. You know, and even if I, even if the communication is instigated by me, just say, I'm thinking I've really got something I want Sheldon to know, mm-hmm. you know, bef- before coming into that communication and, and hopefully during the course of that communication, remembering what is the higher purpose of this communication? Why am I feeling to come and share this with you? For what purpose? Mm-hmm. And to, to try and keep that in mind, you know. Or if it's flipped, if someone has come to you and and is telling you something in inverted commas, that to to notice that we get very reactive and very defensive immediately. That's the job of the ego to notice that. Breathe, pause, and lean in and seek to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, for what purpose is this person coming to me right now with something to say? And sometimes it's not words. So maybe my wife comes and, and puts her head on my shoulder and, and nestles into me. And in that moment that I'm curious, what is she communicating right now? What is she hoping to make common between the two of us right now? Where is she at? You know, Or, or if she is necessarily emotional and, and expressive in a moment and to my kind of more still masculine sensibility, it seems like she's flying around all over the place emotionally that rather than going, oh, my God, here we go, right, that I go, hang on a second, what, what is she feeling right now and why? What is she hoping to communicate to me right now and why? And it's quite probably not literal. The words mm-hmm. that are coming out of her mouth, she probably doesn't mean those literally. She's expressing herself right now. Rather than the old version of me before I you know, cared about being more conscious in communication, I would have taken her words literally I would have got defensive. I would have been reactive. I would have been ready to jump in and and defend my case. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that's just completely unconscious communication. Yeah. So with that in mind, how does someone, because I love this idea and the concept is great. So how does someone begin to practice this, right? Like how, what's, what are some, and you, maybe you said something a little bit about this already, but if someone's struggling with this, they're like, okay, I I see how I might be the one reacting more and letting my ego get in the way of, of clear communication. Like how do I start improving that? Yeah. So, you know, to give you a, a bite-sized answer to that question because i've written a whole book on it right i saw that i was gonna say that's probably similar (laughs) to what you wrote right (laughs) yeah well that that, that's what that's the purpose of the whole the whole book is the the purpose of that is to answer that question that you've just asked me um what's the book one of the we can send people uh, the books the book's called the art of conscious communication for thoughtful men and initially i was writing the book for anyone and everyone and then I engaged a book writing mentor and she suggested to me that I need to pick an audience to write for because it was too too broad. Mm-hmm. And she, she said she'd been reading the manuscript and she said, look, I think there's a lot of men that would do really well to, to have this written for them. So I did. So I decided to write it for men. Mind you, it's it seems to be women that are picking it up off the shelf and reading it first and emailing they're me like, and saying, thank you, you for my, your book. My husband. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're, read, they're, they're reading it and learning a lot and then they're giving it to their husbands or, or sons or brothers. But anyway, the whole book is about that. But if I could give your, your listeners an indication of a practice mm-hmm. uh, that, that is so helpful in this, it has been helpful for me anyway. I've been creating a habitual practice of mindfulness and 
this is it's a practice right it's ongoing it's not something you don't tick a box and go i got good at mindfulness i don't need to practice it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> wait and, no yeah. what yeah. there's got to be a finish line no we we don't believe in finish lines either we're all no, that's that. right yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. continual growth we get it <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. there's no finish line it's like someone saying oh yeah i did yoga i got really good at it so i ticked that box and i stopped oh okay um yeah no so mindfulness for me i you know i like to simplify it into two forms this is an oversimplification but dedicated mindfulness and integrated mindfulness and dedicated mindfulness just quite simply being dedicating some time to sit down and meditate essentially and my form of my preferred form of meditation is a mindfulness meditation mm-hmm. and then the other one is integrated mindfulness, and that simply means integrating a practice of mindfulness into something that you're ordinarily doing anyway. So brushing your teeth or listening to someone or making a coffee. What what you can pick anything. So what does to, that what does that look like? So I'm, all that looks like I'm yeah, being mindful brushing my teeth. Just, just trying to get to the, get your to the nugget of this. Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. So if you're mindfully brushing your teeth. Uh-huh. just bringing all of your attention to what you can notice in that present moment, hmm. right? So normally we're brushing our teeth and, you know, if you're a parent, you're calling out to the kids saying, you know, get into bed or, you know, you're thinking, oh, I should have done that thing today or, oh, that's right, I've got to remember to do that thing tomorrow. We're not in the moment at all, mm-hmm. right? So mindfully brushing your teeth is feeling the bristles on your teeth and your gums, Noticing the saliva glands activate at the taste of the toothpaste, noticing the movement of your hand, noticing the pressure of your fingers touching the holding the toothbrush, anything that you can notice in the present moment. And a a good thing to focus on is anything of your senses. Mm -hmm. So what can you feel, taste, see, hear? You know, so our senses are always in the present moment. So when you bring your attention to any of your senses, you're bringing your attention to the present moment. Now, easier said than done, right? You'll be noticing, right. you'll be mindfully brushing for about two seconds and then you'll be distracted, <laughs> right? And then, and then you go, oh, that's right, mindfully. And you bring your attention back to the present moment and then you get distracted again. In the moment that you remember that you're doing a practice, a mindfulness practice, and you bring your attention back to the present moment, that's the bicep curl. Mm-hmm. That's the workout. That's the training the mind to focus bit, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And I'm, mindfulness teachers tell us that, you know, we shouldn't be striving for anything. And I get that. But what happens is over time, you do get better at it. You just do. Oh, your mind, I, you're not training not mind. striving to like, yeah, I get it. So Not striving to be good at meditating. Meditation <laughs> I teaches. Got, I got to be good. Yeah, yeah. Again, I got to be good at meditating. Yeah. Because then people go, people go, oh, I can't meditate. I'm no good at it. I get so distracted. I'm like, we all get distracted. We've got busy brains. You know, <laughs> yeah. If you're trying to be good at it, then you'll give up because you can't. So, so meditation teachers say, don't strive. Just sit and keep bringing your attention back to the present moment. So, and that's great. That's a good practice. However, over time, what happens is you just get better at focusing. So that, you know, so that's an example of mindfully hmm. brushing your teeth, you know, nice. just bringing your attention to what you can notice in that moment. And it's good for us. It's really healthy for our, our, our brains, our minds, you know. Yeah. I love that example because I think too many times, maybe not too many times, I, I feel like whenever I consider meditation, right, I always think I have to be like, somewhere special, (laughs) silent, specific, right? But that gives me a new method which I can approach meditation because on mindfulness, I guess not meditation so much, but mindfulness in general is is just in any moment, right? And and that's that's beautiful. So I've never thought of it that way. So that was was a great example. So I was like, I got to dig in here because I got to figure out what, and not necessarily with the goal of getting better at it, but just like you said, just practicing exercising for exercising sake, right? <laughs> yeah, uh, and, yeah. And inevitably you get stronger or inevitably yeah. you get better at it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, when you think about it, right? When you think about it, we get healthy body, you know, not mm-hmm. everyone does anything about it, but we all understand it. And to have a healthy body, you need to move your body, right? So mm-hmm. there's certain things we can do to help us create a healthy body. And then when you think about it, your whole experience of everything is in your mind. Mm-hmm. 
that everything that you experience as living a life as a human being in the world, in the universe, in reality, is experienced in your mind. We receive bits of information from the outside world and internally, and we represent those bits of information in our mind. We have an internal projection, and that projection is very much flavoured by the quality of our mind, which is our relationship to the past and, and to the present moment. And so the quality of our mind determines the quality of our experience of life. So why on earth would you not want to develop and improve and curate the quality of your mind? Yeah. And that's what a mindfulness Uh, practice is. It's a curation of the quality of your mind. I see. So I I was going to ask you that, and maybe you've already just answered this question, but is when you're coaching someone, is that what you're hoping to help them with or what what is your coaching more specifically directed to yeah look i mean my clients are leaders that's my bread and butter work i work with senior leaders in organizations here in australia i've got clients in government departments also but in the private sector and in the not-for-profit sector coincidentally i say that word with some kind of pause to it because that's a whole other conversation around coincidence but Coincidentally, most of my clients are in the health sector, and I'm really happy with that because I love working with people in the health sector because they're generally driven to do beautiful, good work and trying to help people be healthier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so most of my work are leaders, and so we would come into conversations with challenges that they're facing, i.e., you know, how to create an engaged team or how to communicate Mm -hmm. more effectively with my people or how to create an environment where we have a healthy culture so that the people in my organization can thrive, etc. And then the conversations invariably get to a point where I'm talking with the leader about where they're getting in their own way, mm-hmm. you know, and how they can improve their functionality as an individual, which is a, a lot to do with the stuff that we're talking about. And a part of a part of coaching for me, I think it's really important to have accountability, you know, as part of the support. Yeah. So I don't just have a session with one of my clients and then they don't hear from me until the next month when we have our next session. They're hearing from me on a weekly basis. Are you doing what you said you were going to do? You said you were going to create a habit around brushing your teeth mindfully. How's that going? (laughs) (laughs) I'm on their case. Well, I like it. Yes. Habits require effort. That's for sure. Consistent. Yeah. Habits. And you can get clever about it. I mean, this is your jam, you, you know, but if you if if you link and i and i thought of this or i came across this before james clear wrote his book atomic habits i've been i've been doing this for about 10 years now and he calls it habit stacking and yeah. i just called it habit association so yeah. when i first wanted to create a habit around brushing my teeth mindfully i just got a post it note and i stuck it on the mirror next to my toothbrush and it said mindfully mm-hmm. so so it was there so every time i reached for my toothbrush I'd, I'd remember to do it. Now I don't have the post-it note. There's just a neural association. Every time I reach for my toothbrush, I go, oh, yeah. So I go into doing it. There was a, while, a period there where I had, because I wanted to create habits around, I call them pause moments, mm-hmm. where, just, where you pause. So you're in between two tasks and just pause, take a breath and continue, right? little mindful moment. So I had these post-it notes all around my house linked to other to existing habits saying pause and one of my favorite ones i've got two favorite ones actually i like making my coffee in the morning right i like i've got the the roasted beans and i put them through my grinder they've got a little process to make my coffee and so i stuck the post-it note next to the container with the beans in it the coffee beans saying pause and so every morning now when i open the lid of the container and that beautiful smell of coffee comes to me i pause Right? And I don't have the post-it note anymore, but I just pause in that moment. I enjoy that. The other one I did was I had one on the top of my laptop. Mm-hmm. So every time I'd go to open my laptop, I'd go pause, take a breath, open your laptop. And it's really great if you're running late because you're running late and you're a bit frantic because we don't want to be late for the other person and pause. <sighs> And then go into the Zoom meeting, right? And now I'm only three seconds later than I was going to be anyway, mm-hmm. but I'm showing up in a different physiological state. Mm. Like I've recalibrated back to some sense of equanimity in these little pause moments. So, yeah. So the thing I really like about what you're saying, right, is we've been, we've been working on, on 
really helping people get to the smallest version of whatever habit they're trying to form. And I think you kind of touched on this. It's first of all, anchoring it or habit stacking or habit association. There's, there's lots of different habit experts who call it different things, but essentially tying it to a habit you already have, right? Brushing your teeth or making coffee or whatever that habit is. And I like this concept of, of just tying it into multiple facets of your day. How have you seen, we're also big proponents of the idea that the small things are the big things, right? Like this, it's the little things that really change your life and, and that make the biggest difference. So how has that been true for you? Or maybe it hasn't been true for you, but I think, I think it has <laughs> based on what you're talking about. What would you consider some of your most valuable habits that you've yeah. created over the years? Yeah. Firstly, you assumed, right. It's so true for me. Mm -hmm. So true that, you know, it's become something that I, I, for anyone who cares about <laughs> any advice that I've got to give, which is usually <laughs> the people that are paying me for it because they're the ones that <laughs> listen, <laughs> is 100%. It's the one percenters with consistency over time mm. that change your life. You know, now we can have aha moments. Mm -hmm. You can go to a Tony Robbins immersive weekend and go, oh my God, yeah, right. But 99% of the people that go to those weekends and walk on hot coals go home and their lives don't change. Yeah. Because they're not implementing little 1% differences with consistency over time. You know, people want, they want stuff to change now. It's like, give me the blue pill and everything changes. It's like, <laughs> man, you've got to do the work, man. Yep. You've got to live the life that you, you've got to live the life with the little things in it. Mm -hmm. That is the life that you're hoping to have. You know, and so when people said to me, How did you go from a self belief of I'm not good enough to turning your life around after your midlife crisis and losing everything? How did you go to believing that you are good enough? And I tell them, It's boring. I rolled my sleeves up and I went to work with repetition, neural repetition, hundreds of times out loud every day. And it took a year before I even started to believe my own hype that I am good enough, that I am enough, right? But I was every single day, I am enough, I am enough. I'm good enough just who I am. I'm good enough just who I am. I'm enough. You're over and over and over again, like a crazy person, because mm -hmm. I'd read books saying that if I put these things on high repeat, that the neurons were going to fire together and then wire together and then become a belief, right? Mm, yeah. So, and I was so desperate to turn my life around because it had gone so far south, and I had two little people, i.e. my two boys, mm -hmm. who relied on me getting it together, you know. So I had the, the impetus there. But to answer your question, what are the little one percenters that make a massive difference for me? Pause moments, the, which I was just mentioning to you. And I first heard about these. I was at a conference in, in Sydney, Australia. It was a global conference, the Global Mindful Leader Forum in 2014. And one of the keynote speakers was a meditation teacher from America. And he said two things that stuck with me. One was know the work. He was talking about meditation. Know the work, but do the work. <laughs> and that landed with me. I was like, oh, wow. You know, here's me talking to people about training their minds and I don't have a regular practice. It's not a daily habitual mm. thing for me. So I committed to it then. And creating a meditation practice initially was a pain you know i'm setting my alarm early in the morning and it's cold in winter and i don't want to sit up 20 minutes earlier than i need to to meditate <laughs> you know surely this meditation thing's no good like it's not going to do anything blah 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 and i had to find some emotional leverage on myself which for me was gem you value being authentic and having integrity they're, they're mm -hmm. core values of yours. You cannot go out there and coach these leaders and suggest that they meditate unless you're doing it, dude. Mm -hmm. So I put that leverage on myself. So I created a habit. Now meditation, I look forward to it. My body wakes me up before my alarm because I'm looking forward to having that opportunity to just sit, not fix anything, not solve anything, not create it, just sit and notice what I can notice. So that's become a habit. But the pause moments was the second thing this guy said. He said, do the work, know the work. And then he said, pause often. That's all he said. And I was like, 
pause often. What does he mean by that? You know, <laughs> and it was just the right time to hear it because mm-hmm. you know I I could have heard that message the year before and I wouldn't have done anything with it. Right, but it was just the right timing, and I went, huh? Pause often. I'm going to create a habit out of that. Hence the post-it notes everywhere. And so my pause moments now, which have become habitual and they happen frequently throughout the day, they have become these little mindful moments, like I said before, of recalibration back to my place of equanimity. Mm-hmm. That's that's powerful, man. You imagine most people go through their life and they wake up and it's like, oh, right now I've got to do this and now I've got to do this and get the kids off and get dressed and then it's on to this and then I've got to do this email and then I've got to do this and they get to the end of the day and it's like, oh my god, give me that glass of wine and do the dishes and watch some crappy TV and then fall asleep and then wake <laughs> up and do it all over again, right? Yes. With maybe some fun bits in there of like, oh hi, this is fun, woohoo! But it's all like brrr, nonstop. Yeah. You know, and so now, their, their right? frequency, <laughs> yeah, right, their vibrations like oscillating like this. And so what pause moments have become for me is these moments where I'm oscillating like this and then I pause and bring it back to something more <laughs> like that and go, ah, oh, my centre, my calm clarity and continue. And these pause moments, like I said, they only take three to five seconds but it means that throughout the day I keep coming back to a place of calm clarity. And wow, this is, but that's been a game changer for me, really been quite remarkable. And the other, the other habit that I've created, I used to think affirmations were some kind of hippie woo woo, <laughs> yeah, say, say your affirmation <laughs> thing or some Eastern traditional mantra thing. And I didn't pay much attention to them until we started to be able to understand what happens when we say an affirmation on repeat neurologically. And then I understood how it works. So I was like, oh, affirmations, cool. They're free. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I've I've created a habit of affirmations. So in the morning I do my meditation and then I have some affirmations that I say out loud um, and then I get on with the day. Excellent. Mm. Those were wonderful examples. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say, I've got to like connect all my dots it sounds like what you're saying is our our perception is our reality right our filter for how we view the world and like when we can change the way we you must jim Rohn always say change the way you look at things and the things you look at change and the most powerful habits that you've done is is mindfulness you've implemented that by meditation by pause moments and by kind of these things that that fire together, wire together, right? So the, these affirmations is what you've used to like rewire the positivity in, in your own mind and your own brain. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Love it. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting because when you create a moment to pause and just observe, you, you're kind of removing yourself, like you said earlier, you said that you de-identified with thoughts and emotions. You're creating a moment to step outside of the being identified in any experience. And when we're identified in any experience, our sense of identity is super defensive. We're closed-minded. We have an idea of what we think things are and we hang on very tightly. We grip very tightly to the way we think things should be. And so, for example, just say you're scrolling on social media and you see something on your feed, you have an immediate reaction, an immediate judgment on that which you've just come across. Mm -hmm. When we learn to pause, we can pause and notice our reaction and then even not question it in a way that you're questioning yourself all the time, but just be open to understanding that that was just your preconceived your prejudged reaction to something and that there might be other ways to perceive it, mm-hmm. you know, that, that not might be, there most definitely are other ways to perceive <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. That's a, exactly. I mean, I, I feel like you probably, maybe you haven't thought about it in this terms, but you innately have like this, this grasp on change and identity. I mean, you've done a lot of seemingly unrelated things like a, a tattooist, kindergarten teacher (laughs) you know what i mean like that's a lot of different identities right how how does that happen (laughs) yeah 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 what i've what i've figured out i've had i've had two identity crises you know some to some degree death of ego Mm -hmm. 
in my life. The first time it happened, it scared the hell out of me because I didn't know what was going on. I just didn't know who I was anymore. And it was a super low point in my late 20s. In, I happened to be living in London. And yeah, it was a super low point. You know, I got to the point in my life where, because I'd been identifying with my vehicles. So the vehicles are the job you do, the person you're hanging out with, the family member you are, you know, these are I call them vehicles. They're, they're ways to to experience being who you think you are in the world the way you think the world is. Uh, now, our vehicles come and go. You can be married to someone and then not. I've had that happen as well. You know, my marriage ended, must be nine years ago now. And I had identified as, as her husband. But when the marriage is not there anymore, you have an identity crisis. Oh, wow. Well, who am I then? Right? Mm-hmm. And I had identified as fire dancer. I had identified as tattooist. I had identified as kindergarten teacher. I identified with these things. And then when they're not there anymore, it's like, who am I? Mm. So this has happened twice. Like I said, the first time in London was scary. And then I, and what ensued after that was a year of an experiment that I ran in India. I ran an experiment and I said, well, if I don't know who I am anymore and I don't know what I want to do or who I want to be. I'm going to run an experiment. I'm going to let go of all design on the future, Hmm. all design. I I completely surrendered to having no idea what I wanted to do with my life, no idea what I even wanted to do the next day. And when people would say to me, you meet people when you're traveling, right? And I I spent most of my time barefoot. I had dreadlocks and I was a full proper hippie. And people meet you and go, oh, hey, Jem, you know, what do you do? And I didn't know how to answer that question. I was like, what do I do? Well, right now I'm talking with you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm drinking a chai. What do I do? I drink this chai. <laughs> I don't know. So I, to make it easier for conversation, I would say I'm a traveller, um, but I didn't even want to identify as a traveller. I, I really didn't know. So I ran this experiment and I travelled on my own for a couple of years and it ended up being a really remarkably cathartic and spiritual, beautiful experience. And I experienced flow because I let go of this this tight grip on how we think things should go. Mm -hmm. And India for a lot of people is a real test of patience. For In India, you turn up to a train station, it takes you two hours to buy a ticket, and then it takes you six hours to wait for the train. Or if you go to the bank to get money out, you've got to go to seven different banks and speak to a hundred different clerks to get your money kind of thing but in this year of flow in india it became the opposite everything happened so easily you know i would just walk up to the train station and get on the train and it would just go and anyway that's that's another story but so that was my first identity crisis the second one was in my early 40s lost my career lost my marriage lost my house lost all my belongings thankfully kept Mm -hmm. my two kids week on week off and it's been like that for nine years now <clears throat> and that one was more of an opportunity. Yeah. I knew that my my partial de- death of ego, Yeah, I knew that me not knowing who I was and where I wanted to go or what I wanted to do, I knew that was an opportunity. So I saw this as more of a, as a midlife awakening rather than a midlife crisis. So and yeah, I saw it as an opportunity. It, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, how, you call it an opportunity. What do you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it was an opportunity to re-identify you know, to re-identify. And this time round, I thought, you know what? My deepest sense of identity, you know, and I've read, I've read the work that you guys do with identity and stuff. And I thought my deepest sense of identity, that which can't ever be taken away from me, is my character, which is founded in my values. Mm-hmm. So who do I choose to be? So I put that on high repeat. I say this out loud most mornings as well. I am a kind, generous, caring, loving, open-minded, action-taking man. That's who I think I am. That's my sense of identity. That can't be taken away from me. Mm-hmm. You know, I could lose my partner, but I'll still know who I am. I could stop coaching. I'll, stu- I'll still know who I am. Yeah. You know, I could lose my ability to engage in my favorite activities like hiking, surfing. Mm-hmm. I could lose that ability, but I'll still know who I am. Yeah. 
you know. So for me, it become really important that the foundation of my identity is not in what I do. It's in who I choose to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that that was the opportunity that that presented itself for me. And again, you know, it didn't just happen. I didn't just take a pill and go, woohoo, I get this now. It, this has been a daily practice of, of putting it on high repeat, man, creating a habit around this. Yeah. You know. I would phrase it like this almost. You've decided who you want to be, right? And then you you neurons wiring together firing together and, and the consistency of those little habits to almost like to prove it to yourself to the point you believe it now right it's yeah. a virtuous cycle of doing and believing in there because you believe that's who you are and identify therefore you do these things <laughs> do you know what i mean yeah 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 that's right and then it yeah. becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. and the interesting thing is that when i first started putting these things on high repeat i.e., just saying them out loud over and over i didn't even believe them yet I was saying them and not believing them. But what I did believe was the books that I'd read by the neuroscientists who had understood something about how this neurology story goes, right? So I did believe that. So Mm. I put it on high repeat. And the way I think about it now is that we spend most of our lives unconsciously brainwashing ourselves, (laughs) right? Yeah. Yeah. You're just doing it consciously now. (laughs) Yeah. I'm just doing it consciously. I'm yeah. just doing it with volition now. So I'm brain I'm choosing how I what I want to believe and consciously brainwashing myself to believe those things, you know. And when you have a belief around something, that distorts the information from the outside world. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you believe life is tough, you can receive the same information from the outside world and distort that information to match your belief and you will we create evidence to back up our beliefs. Yes. Oh, we do. You know, yes, absolutely. I I have a belief that people are generally lovely. Now, that's just a belief. I don't know if that's actually true or not. I've only met 0.0001% of the Earth's population. (laughs) How do I know if everyone's lovely? I don't. (laughs) But it's a belief that I choose to have. And -hmm. guess what happens? I I distort the information. I just meet lovely people. (laughs) Most of the people you meet are lovely. (laughs) Exactly, man. Yes, I love it. No, this is all is all wonderful. So, and I liked you had a statement in there. I'll have to re I'll have to rewatch it and listen. But it is exactly how I feel about you know. There's there's all this stuff that we do, but I think in the end, the foundation of who we are is is not it it's not tied to what we do necessarily. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. what what we do is often a, a a result of that, but I don't think it's the what makes us who we are in it. That's exactly right, man. Is what we do is a result of who we choose to be or how we choose to be, you know, who is indicative of identity again, about how we choose to be. You know, there's a beautiful little three-word flip that I've come across in the years. I can't, I don't know who made it up, but a lot of people approach life in this order, have, do, be. <laughs> so they focus on what do I want to have? right? Well, I want to have that house or I want to have that relationship or I want to have that career. So to have those things, what do I need to do? Right. Well, I've got to go and work really hard or I've got to be nice to my partner or I've got to go and do these things to get that thing that I want to have. And that inadvertently then dictates who we're being. You know, I'm rushed off my feet. I'm super busy. I'm tired. I'm getting an ulcer or brain tumor or something. I don't know. Any one of those things, any one yeah, of those any things, one of those exactly. Things, yeah. So the idea is that we flip it rather than focusing on what you want to have, focus on who do you choose to be, you know, and this is not something that's positioned out in some future that may or may not happen. This is not something that is reliant upon things that are outside of your control to some degree, like I mm. want that house. This is all within your control and it's present moment right now. Who do you choose to be? I choose to be kind, generous, loving, caring, open-minded, action-taking, right? So when I choose to be that, that then determines what I do and the quality of the things I do because I'm going to do things with a kind heart and blah, 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 right? So that determines the quality of what I do, which then determines the quality of the outcome, the the, the things that you have. So I turn around and look at my life now in May, 2022 and i go wow look what i've got 
I've got my relationships are stunning. I live in exactly where I want to live. I do exactly the work I want to do. You know, I I got all of these things, not because I was focused on having them, but because I was focusing on how I was choosing to be in each moment, you know? Yeah. I love it. Jeff's being humble. He, he likes to say to be is greater than to do and to do is greater than to have. <laughs> For real. I like to say that. Yeah. You <laughs> said that many times, Jeff. <laughs> I love that. Yes. To be well, is greater than to do and to do is greater than to have. Yeah. yeah you're I, a, man, you're a man after my own heart. Dude. I'm a big believer in what you just said. So 100% in agreement with your statement there of be, do, have, right? And, and the funny part is, though, you said earlier, like this quote from, from the meditation guy is, know the work, but do the work. Right. I feel like a lot of times I fall into that category of knowing and failing to do. Right. But more and more lately, as Sheldon and I have been participating in this podcast and just trying to more than anything, share good ideas or share ideas that we feel are good. Right. Share ideas that we hope help people to become the best version of themselves, whatever they want, whatever that is. Right. However, like you said, they want to be. But I feel like that statement for me has become more and more true over the years. Right heard it a long time ago, felt, yeah. felt the same way you did. It's just like, I was attached to it immediately. Like, Oh, I get it like this. But yeah. over the years, I feel like I've reached levels of understanding of it and further embracing that reality of, okay, not only is this true, but how do I live it right on a regular basis and be before I do. And before I want, because wanting sometimes can just, lead us to the rushing life. Like you just said, I thought that was a great example of, you know, we, we end up chasing somebody else's dream. I don't know, yeah. chasing, chasing whatever, yeah. right. Yeah. Chasing, chasing always dream chasing. that that we've been indoctrinated into. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, man. That's why, you know, I, I, it's very intentional that in my identity statement, my I am statement, I've got the term action taking. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that out loud every day on purpose because I believe that action taking is functional. You know, if you want to make things happen, you got to do stuff. Yeah. <laughs> so, but by being that, then I'm I'm bringing the do into the be. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So who do I who do I choose to be? I choose to be open minded and action taking, which means that I'm happy to get up early in the morning and have a great conversation with great people like you. Why? Because it's taking action on yeah. stuff. Otherwise, I could just sit back and be kind and nice and meditate. And that's fine as well. (laughs) That's completely fine. I'm no judgment on anyone who doesn't want to take action. I'm just talking about for me. Yeah. For me, if I just sat on the couch and meditated and was kind and nice to people, I wouldn't feel like I'm being all of who I want to be. I want to be someone who's out there engaged and, and trying to make a difference and, you know, activated in life. Hmm. Yeah. You know, so I've got I've got that in the identity statement, you know. Well, interestingly enough, our so we initially started our podcast called Idea Gym, which was all about <laughs> all about putting ideas to work, right? Taking action yeah. on these things. And yeah. mostly because that's what we want to do, right? That not that we're great at it, but that we're we're striving to be better at acting action on the takers. things that we that we feel are valuable and understand. And then we changed it to habit masters mostly because I think it accomplishes the same goal in in that it's like you were saying these little things that we do day in and day out, they don't, cause I, we get caught up in this. I have to accomplish all these big things and take over the world and create an empire or whatever. Right? Yeah. yeah, <laughs> not, yeah. not we meaning, you know, a lot of people, I think. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, and yeah. I've gotten caught in that mentality of like chasing success in the past. And I think we're just trying to be a little more mindful, like you're saying to hopefully yeah. experience life a little more in the moment and and truly get to know people, right? Connect with yeah. good people and share good yeah. ideas. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. And you made it. You've, you've arrived. <laughs> you've arrived. Yeah. Here yeah. We are. You made it. We're acting on it right now. <laughs> you made it to this moment. You know, you are yeah. living it right now, you know, and, and everyone has made it to this moment, you know, but it's kind of somehow it's like this, that one of the most successful memes 
that that we haven't made it yet, that we're not there yet. That, that well, but when I get that, or when I achieve that, or when I do that, or it's like this perpetual chasing something that never arrives. Horizon line, yeah. You know, that's <laughs> kind of crazy. Yes, and and it's it's figuring out how to embrace this moment and and live it rather than always be seeking something different, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we, we've, it's been awesome. We've, we appreciate all your time and all the information we have really, we just, you've given us so much information already, but I, I love the simple action. So I would say to any listener, what Jim has taught, taught us today would be invaluable for you is, is practice mindfulness and find those moments, right? Tie it to another habit. I think those are going to be I'm going to do it. That's my goal now. <laughs> Take action, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to act yeah. on the ideas to see yeah, yeah, how they yeah. impact you. <laughs> are we on a, are we on a time thing? Can I, can I add one more thing? That please. Oh, of course. Yeah, please. Yeah. yeah, cool. The, the practice of mindfulness. So an attention to the present moment, which, which also can be an observation of the stuff that we're normally identified with. So you can observe emotions you can observe thoughts, these things that we're normally enmeshed in as our sense of who we think we are. And as you develop the ability to kind of step outside of the experience and simply observe it with no judgment, it becomes a superpower, mm. right? Imagine this. Imagine you are really, really angry in a moment. Something's happened and you're angry. And there's a period of time where that might be functional right? It's, it's, we're necessarily emotional. So something happens, you get angry, blah, blah, blah. Then the moment passes where it's functional and you're stuck, mm. still feeling angry. And you're like, oh, I can't <laughs> even let this go, you know? And you're like, I, can I just, I just want to let this go. Right. And you might be lying awake at night going, I just want to go to sleep. Or you might be in the day going, I need to let this go. But, and you can't, the development of the ability to step outside of the experience and simply observe it, not try and change it, just observe it. What happens is that the anger dissipates really quickly. And when I say the anger, I mean anything that you're identifying with, sadness, anger, looping thoughts, you know, frustration, anything that you were stuck inside, the ability to observe it means that it can dissipate. So this is applicable to all parts of your life. You might have been asked to do a presentation to the directors of the company. And before you walk into that boardroom, you're super nervous. You're nervous and you're like, I'm going to stuff this up. You know, your mouth is dry and you're all the ability to step outside of being identified with being nervous and simply notice it. This mindfulness activation, the nerves dissipate. They might still be there. You might still have a slightly heightened heart rate or you know, you might be still a bit adrenalized, but mm -hmm. it's way more manageable because yeah. you're not identified and stuck in the experience. You can be talking with your partner and, and notice that you're reacting to something that they're saying. The ability to notice your own reactions and to kind of, yeah, it's hard to explain, but I think you get what I mean. You can come back to being super present for them. Yeah. Well, it, another psychologist I think he described something kind of similar to what you're saying. And the way that he put it really stood out to me was you kind of stop fighting it. Right. Where it's like, you're saying like, oh, I just want this to go away. And just like yeah. almost by fighting it, you're perpetuating it. Right. Yeah. You're, you're growing it larger than it even was where what yeah. you're saying is if I step back and just observe it without judgment and say, isn't that yeah. interesting. Right. Wonder yeah. about it. Yeah. It suddenly turns into something almost disconnected from you in a way. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You you're de-identifying with like instead of when you're caught up in the anger, it's almost like you believe the fact that I am angry. You know what uh -huh. I mean? But when you can be mindful and observe that, all of a sudden it's like, no, I'm I'm feeling this emotion. It doesn't have to be who I am. <laughs> you that's know, true. so it's so the way of de-identifying you in yeah, that that's moment. True. Yeah. So true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, the, it's our identification with something that makes it hard for us to let go of it because that's who you are. If, you've, if yeah. you've identified with something, that's who you are. And to the ego, the death of ego is akin to real death. 
and it will fight tooth and nail to survive. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you, I don't know whether you guys have seen this happen, but I've seen people over the last two years identify with a political belief or an ideological belief. Say, for example, someone has identified as I am an anti-vaxxer, mm-hmm. right? Regardless of regardless, We've seen a lot of this lately. <laughs> yeah. And then and then someone in the same family, as in brother yeah. and sister, have identified as I am a pro-vaxxer. Now, this is they've taken an idea on what they think should be the best way for us as humans to deal with a pandemic. Like I think we should probably do this, or I think we should probably do this. So they've taken mm-hmm. ideas on what they think would be best for everybody. They've identified with those ideas. So this is not just an idea of what I think would be best. This is who I am. Yeah, yeah. Right? they've claimed it. <laughs> and they and they have gone, they've gone fighting to save their sense of identity, fighting tooth and nail, because to the ego, it's life and death, right? So this is my life. If I don't, if I don't defend this standpoint, I'm gonna actually die, they think. And I've seen families fall apart and they have actually disowned each other and they will not actually ever talk to each other ever again. That's crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. That's absolutely crazy, crazy because we <laughs> identify with our with our ideas. You know? They've and labeled like, well, themselves. Be what you- <laughs> they've labeled themselves. Be careful the identities issues, right? <laughs> to the point where they can't they can't get past that. Yeah. 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 You know, and they will lose a brother or sister or son or daughter. They will lose someone over it. You know, and they'll be sad about it. They'll be devastated about losing their daughter, but they'll blame her. But unwilling wrong. to change <laughs> <laughs> or unwilling to not even to change, but unwilling to see it from a different perspective. Yeah. Even if they agree or disagree, right. You don't, I mean, that's, that's yeah. part of, I mean, we're, we're diving into the communication realm heavily, but I think it's true that I, I was talking to someone the other day about that, how, I don't know if it's like this in Australia, um, for the first time in a long time, I think we're all sharing a lot of <laughs> yeah. sharing yeah. a lot of happenings, right? I don't know. I'm losing the words, but yeah, it's true. It, you know, we have we have a lot of shared information happening right now, and it feels like people are, like you said, taking a stance, right? Planting their flag, identifying with a certain opinion of the circumstances, and and then they are uh, unwilling to even consider the other view because like you said it's like the death of the ego they feel like if for even a second i <laughs> i hear you out on this your opinion that differs from mine that somehow i've given in yeah. that's never been the case with communication right it's it's like hey yeah. we can we can agree to disagree right we can yeah. we can both see each other's <laughs> perspective and think yeah. okay i see why you think that now but i still don't right I, that's fine yeah, yeah 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 completely in fact i i personally would feel i'd feel better about you know st- sticking with my opinion on something if i had really understood where you were coming from yeah if i haven't if i've just blocked you completely and i just don't even want to give you any airtime at all on your on your opinion then then the ground I'm standing on would feel shaky. I'd be like, oh, I don't know if I'm right or not because I'm not <laughs> listening to anyone else. <laughs> seems like yeah. seems like they have the opposite feel, but <laughs> that's how you would assume it would go, right? Is <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. I, I might yeah. need to look at this from you know multiple facets before I, <laughs> you know. So then you've got <laughs> people shouting at each other, yeah, and canceling each other. On, I mean, I, I I find the whole cancel culture thing hilarious because I'm not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> so like, no one can cancel me because I'm not on Twitter. All right, well, I'm uncancelable <laughs> or whatever it yeah, is. I don't you're know. like, Haha. but but people are shouting at each other, and I know that I know that they believe in their cause, and I know the world. They believe that the world will be a better place when they fight for their cause. I get that. That's cool, mm-hmm. man. You're activated, and you know you you want to make the world a better place. Awesome. But the way you're going about it is not. <laughs> helping you achieve your goal <laughs> right all You're it's doing making- is <laughs> yeah it's it's yeah and that's exactly how i feel i'm like yeah i get it you have this strong desire to help uh, but like you said the way you're going about it is is doing nothing but divide everybody you know so that's right yeah, all of us right we're, i mean it's both sides of the argument are doing the exact yeah, same yeah, thing yeah. right the yeah, each is crazy. yelling at the other it's like what yeah is that's right but what you know the interesting thing is that you know because 
those people who are shouting at each other, the algorithms love that, right? So the algorithms <laughs> put too. that stuff in front of yeah. us because right? it people it gets people's attention and people click and people get enraged and people go oh yeah. So so if you if you believed social media or mainstream news <laughs> because they're all feeding off the same thing, which is the parts of our brain that get all fired up. It would seem like most of the world are caught up in this identity politics and are shouting at each other. But you know what I've found? Most people are like us. Most people are actually good-natured, wanting to get along, wanting to work in community, wanting to be good and nice and kind. Most people that I meet anyway. Absolutely. Because you filter the world to that way. That's right. Man. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you 100%. There's a reason I don't yeah, watch yeah. the news. Like, the, I just avoid all that stuff. I'm just yeah. like, none of it. They're not telling yeah. me anything. If I need some information that's very important, it'll come to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it will come know. my way. <laughs> I'm the same as you. I haven't watched the news for about 25 years. And people go, <laughs> how can you not watch the news? You don't know what's going on. And I said, no, I'm pretty sure there's a war going on in Ukraine. And I'm pretty sure that, <laughs> you know, some dude just bought Twitter and his name's Elon Musk. And you know what I mean? Like you, you hear about stuff, right? The big news gets to you somehow, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, we, we've, yeah, we probably should wrap it up just because I've, I've got to... <laughs> I'm gonna take some kids to baseball. Where can we send people? Last question: Where where can they find you? What? How can they support you and what you're doing? Gemfuller.com is my website's the hub of everything. You can find everything at Gemfuller.com. If you're someone who's on social media, it's Gemfuller on Insta and LinkedIn and Facebook. I, how can you support me? I'd love you to read my book. And I can say that wholeheartedly now because the feedback that's coming from people who have read the book is glowing and I'm getting lots of emails and reach outs from people saying, thank you for writing this book. It's really made a difference in my life. So yeah, I'm on a mission for people to read the book and you can go to YouTube and type in Jem Fuller and watch my TEDx talk. That'd be great too. Awesome. Yeah. I was, I was checking Just your book out on Amazon. On I, need to go, I need to go grab it because I could use that. Of course, <laughs> who can use little yeah. better communication skills and mindfulness if you're someone who listens to books rather than reading them the post-production work has just been done the files are being sent to the publisher and it'll be up on audible in the next let's say month so awesome that that is jeff and i we uh, i've transitioned a little bit because there's so much going on in life that i'm like i still want to read but i can't listening as reading now (laughs) me too yeah 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 me too i listen to everything as well you can listen at two times speed, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, pause. Still, still get the and then pause. Yeah. And then yeah. pause. <laughs> listen to it at three times speed, but every half an hour, pause, take a breath. <laughs> and then there back on again. <laughs> well, it's been a pleasure, Jim, and we hope that we can stay connected. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Pleasure, Jim. Thank you for listening, Jim Fuller. I hope you've got a lot of good tips of how to be more mindful and how important that really is. A couple quick asks. We are trying to get to 100 reviews. So not on Spotify, Apple, Google, anywhere you can. That really helps us out and helps us organically. It's the only way we grow, word of mouth. So please, please share with everybody. And the second thing is we just launched our course. What was it the Master of Building Habits, seven-day challenge? <laughs> Went through a lot of different. What's it called officially? <laughs> the seven day habit masters challenge. Seven day habit masters. I mean, at the end of the day, we all have things we want to accomplish. Everyone has goals, dreams of where you want to go and who you want to be. And so we want to help you get there. And so we dive into ways to make change sticky, permanent. Fastest way to change is to change something you do daily. Lots of good information. It's a two for one. You have to do it with a buddy. If you don't, not ready for it yet, we have a habit tracker. So that's on our freebies page. Go find it. You'll be surprised how much change happens just by consciously tracking what is happening. So absolutely. So do it. Links in the show notes, guys. <laughs> it's time to start living your best life. <laughs>